Hello and welcome to Two Hearts, the new Who podcast with the two queers you love to hear. I'm CJ. And I'm James. And this is the only podcast where we know that some things are worth getting your heart broken for. Every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the 2005 Doctor Who revival. This week, it is Season 2, Episode 3, School Reunion. But before we dive into that, let's do the requisite. How are you this week? Yes, everyone's favourite segment, How Are You? Where I have nothing to report, unfortunately, this week. Um, <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a real lacklustre fortnight here in Sydney. How are things going over there in ye olde Adelaide? Uh, ye olde Adelaide is ye olde just fine, I suppose. Um, I am currently buried in just way too many game reviews uh, that all will be going live on the site that I write for, Power Up, later this week. Uh, so by the time that this goes up, you can check out my review of Tell Me Why, Final Fantasy, Crystal Chronicles Remake, and Drake Hollow, all of which I'm very excited to write about and uh, report on. So follow me on Twitter for further updates on those amazing pieces. Yes, uh, do. And also follow me on Twitter and Instagram to see not much. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what you're selling here, but uh, I'll back you off on it. Follow both of us. Okay, I think we are just going to dive straight into the episode this week because there is no Doctor Who news and we are both champing at the bit to uh, have a chat about school reunions. So without further ado, let's get to it. Good morning, class. Are we sitting comfortably? Three months ago, it turns out all the kitchen staff were replaced. See, there's definitely something going on. I was right to call you on. May I introduce Miss Sarah Jane Smith? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yes, very nice. You were not permitted to leave your station during a sitting. Boy in class this morning. Got knowledge way beyond planet Earth. K9! The time has come, my brothers. Today we shall become gods. The Reunion, episode three of series two of Doctor Who, first broadcast in 2006, directed by James Hawes and written by Toby Whithouse. This is <clears throat> Whithouse's first contribution to Doctor Who, but he wouldn't actually write for the show again until Matt Smith's era. So it's his solo RTD episode. Pretty good episode to have written, considering it features the return of literally everyone's favourite companion, Sarah Jane Smith, which I feel like isn't a spoiler, right? Like, people do know this. We don't have to, like, hold that information back, right? Uh, given that she is guaranteed to be in the podcast art this week, I, I think we're okay. Let's turn to IMDb, everyone's favourite. Um, I am shooketh at how wordy this is. So, brace yourselves. The Krillatanes, aliens with a mix-and-match physiology, are trying to crack the Godmaker, a paradigm to give them ultimate power. They are using children as a computer, and only the Doctor and Rose, reunited with Sarah Jane Smith and K-9, can prevent them from becoming masters of time and space. Now, if that seems like a lot for like a mid-season episode, you're correct. And it's a lot for an IMDb uh, bio. It is a lot, isn't it? And I'm I'm just now realizing it doesn't mention Mickey, but it mentions K9, which I, I find to be um <laughs> a bit unfortunate. Uh, I would like to have a word with whoever wrote that because it is strangely wordy. There's just so much detail, and it's trying to uh, actually. You know what? It's doing a champion effort of placing the Krillatane plot 
as like this there's the center of the narrative because honestly i think you and i both don't have anything of note to mention with regards to the crillotained in this episode um but we will get to that um let me just give you a, a quick rundown of the plot um for those who don't know the doctor and rose in this episode go undercover at a local school to investigate some ufo um sightings uh, and with they get Mickey in, with the help of Mickey, they discover some of the, the teachers at the school have been mysteriously replaced and the students are also suspiciously super clever. But there's also someone else they're investigating, which is the Doctor's old friend, Sarah Jane Smith, and her trusty robot dog, K-9. Uh, Sarah's presence in this episode gives Rose pause for thought on her life after the Doctor. And the Doctor tells her he she might live the rest of her life with him, but he will eventually outlive her, which is, you know bit of a bummer. The team discover that the school has been infiltrated by Quillotanes, who cherry-pick the best bits of the races they conquer to assimilate into themselves, and they are using oil from their own bodies to make the students smarter and crack a universal code called the Skasis Paradigm. Uh, after being tempted with the power of a god, the Doctor uh, turns it down and uses K9 to blast the Quillotanes with vats of their own oil, also blowing up the school somehow. Sarah turns down the offer to travel in the TARDIS and gets a final goodbye from the Doctor and a replacement K-9 as a bit of a consolation prize. Meanwhile, Mickey, everyone's favourite, comes aboard the TARDIS for future travels, which is a nice way to end it, I think. It is. It is. For an ending that is as mixed as the ending of School Reunion, is having Mickey permanently come aboard is definitely a welcome change to the dynamic. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. So what are your... um? What are your feelings about this episode? Because we've talked at length about School Reunion and I have um, <laughs> two theories I want to lay down for you all uh, in this episode. But what are, your, what are your initial thoughts and feelings, James? Well, it's a strange one because I, I think the actual act of watching School Reunion is quite dull. Um, I, I don't think it's a particularly well put together episode from any point of view except for two of the main performances and those are both from guest stars. So it's really strange uh, coming into School Reunion because I, I find myself wanting to be harsher on it because I have such major gripes with the... Uh, I guess just the entertainment factor. Like there's definitely some like, you know, problematic stuff going on in there and we'll sound the problematic alarm in a little bit. Um, But I just think on the whole, it's just such an oddly flat episode. And you can tell from the plot description, given how much it's dealing with. A hundred percent. And my feelings as well. It's, I think the worst crime this episode has committed is being giving us a threat of unimaginable scale for a throwaway monster in the middle of a season that also isn't about it at all. Obviously we have Sarah Jane here and this is an episode which is about life after the Doctor and the companion's sort of role in the TARDIS. And so it's odd. I, I, I found myself watching this episode just thinking, why, are we, why am I watching all of this stuff about the Skasis paradigm and God makers and codes and kids on matrix era, black chunky computers trying to with the overhead like um, headphones and uh, a, I mean, it's dated. We can definitely say that, but also B it's just so unnecessarily over the top as a plot, but Sarah Jane Smith. Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's wise that we start with Sarah Jane Smith because Elizabeth Sladen completely steals the show here. Um, she elevates a script that 
maybe does her a little bit dirty at times. I think everyone's pretty much on the same page with that read on that characterization now that we're a, a good distance of time away from school reunion. Um, but she herself imbues Sarah Jane with so much life. It's like she hasn't missed a single beat as this character, despite the, you know, 30 some odd year gap or however long it's been. Um, and I, I find her just completely compelling from the moment that she steps onto the screen to the moment that she leaves. She is easily the best thing about this episode. Mm. Absolutely. She's, um, I won't, I mean, I won't like say she's a breath of fresh air necessarily. I know that, um, a lot of people were, are keen to see Sarah Jane back in this episode, me included. Absolutely. I do. Yeah. Um, your point about people thinking that her characterization was off in this episode or that this episode did her dirty. I, I would, heartily disagree with if only to take the opposing side to that <laughs> um debate because i do love my arguments but um yeah i think it having sarah jane and canine back is just for this episode as well it, it, it is so good and i also feel like it doesn't one of the things that i appreciate about russell t as a as a um a show runner is that he doesn't really dwell in the nostalgia of uh past who so the Daleks came back without all of the baggage associated with them. Um, and same with Sarah Jane. She really doesn't need anything for an introduction other than I used to travel with the doctor and that's it. And it's quite telling as well that um, um, I think it was, I don't remember where I heard this quote, but or who said it necessarily, but um, there was somebody at the time the episode went out was like surprised that Sarah Jane actually was a, a recurring character from the show in the past because they, they honestly just thought that she was just specially created for this episode as a means to show, to mirror against Rose. And so I think that's just a testament to how well this episode really does weave in that story with the current timeline and the current story that's happening with the, the TARDIS team. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think it's it reminds me in, in that way of Dalek, in that if you come to it with the baggage and the history of the show, you have an amazing time. If you don't come to it with that, you still have an amazing time with that character, at least. I mean, I think Dalek is obviously on the whole a much more successful episode, um, but... Sarah Jane and Elizabeth Slater's performance of Sarah Jane in this episode is so charming and lovely and full of like melancholy and, and life and like that real perfect balance of like, you know, you know that she's seen some shit. She's, she's a woman who's kind of gone on to live her life in a post doctor world and how successfully she does that is I think where we run into our first, um, potential problem I, i'd say with sarah jane's characterization here uh but for those audience members that are coming into this who don't know who she was um i do think it like it would provide like a really fun time and a lot of that does come down to how good the filmmaking is around the sarah jane stuff specifically um that first moment when she stumbles upon the tardis while she's exploring the school at night and it's almost shot like a horror sequence. Like you just, it focuses on her face first and she, her eyes go wide and she kind of like is, is pushed back by the mere presence of this thing. And it cuts to the TARDIS that's like mostly like in shadow and only really illuminated in this like really deep blue. And she just backs out slowly and closes the door. Like it's such an imposing moment and it works really well because you don't need to know who she was to feel what you're meant to be feeling in that scene and a lot of that you know i mean it, it comes down to the way it was shot and the way that elizabeth sladen acted it absolutely and i feel like we don't give enough credit on this show to the director's 
um, often enough. And you're right. The direction in this episode is, is pretty, is pretty good. Um, I, when you said that, it reminded me of the, the scene with David Tennant and Anthony Head uh, up with the pool. And they've got that like Western standoff vibe happening, but the setting just offsets it and makes it quite, it's quite odd. I found it quite odd to be like, have seen Doctor Who set in a pool, for instance. Um, I think there's some really interesting choices there stylistically for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's that scene in particular is such a strange one because it is another moment where it feels like the directing and the script should be working. Uh, And I I mean, like I I stand by, I think the script in that moment works really well. Anthony Head's performance in particular works amazingly well, Um, but you're right because it's set in the pool. uh, It's set like in broad daylight as well. It just all feels a bit off. Um, And it's one of the many moments throughout this episode where it's like, I should be feeling more of a dramatic weight than I currently am. Um, And a lot of that just comes down to like just some really weird style choices that were made throughout. Mm. And I think one of those weird style choices, um, if we can, I'm really quite keen to just have this conversation out of the way so we can get to the good stuff, um, is the Quillotanes, because they're awful and I don't like them. Uh, yeah, it's true. And this is the thing. I know we said that we'd like, we'd start with Sarah Jane Smith, but I really kind of feel like we'll just organically find our way back to her when it's relevant because she does go on to impact sort of most other facets of what's going on in this episode. So we'll, we'll get back to, to what was going on there, but the Quillotanes are, um, uh, they're a choice, you know, they're, they're, they don't look particularly good. The CGI looks terrible. They don't, really make any sense like I, I the whole like physiology adopting different races that they've conquered in the past and um for some reason their oil is toxic to them but if a human ingests it they become super smart it, they're just a bit of a like whatever we need the krillotines to do they will be able to do in any given scene um and because of that it's really difficult to establish them as any sort of like sense of threat outside of anthony uh head's performance because he's in human form the entire time and so he becomes sort of the de facto face of the krillotines um and when you can hide behind his performance it's totally fine but there are so many instances throughout the episode where it's just these like terrible cgi bat creatures that look somehow worse than the CGI terrible bat creatures from Father's Day. Yeah, I think they look worse because they've tried uh they've tried harder to give them more detail with like the faces and the masks and the extra hands and and to make them I guess more interesting where the reapers in the Father's Day episode were these like dark shapeless kind of winged things. Um yeah, I just really don't like them and I feel like the Krillotanes, I know people like like talking about the adipose and the um that little thing from the Saranga conundrum, um, the Pating, Pating. Um, I know that people like talking about them as like examples of Doctor Who over to sell merchandise, but I think the Kurilisanes are the worst. Maybe I just I really, and not for any not for a good reason. Anyone listening, uh, not for a good reason do I not like them. I just don't like them. I think that's valid though. Like there's, there's valid reasons to not like those things. For me, it's like the slightly humanoid gargoyle faces. Uh, it just, it just doesn't work. Um, and they do rely on it a fair bit. And so because of that, the episode just, again, it's, it's, it's one of those stylistic choices where I watch this and I, I, 
I resent it for not being better because there are so many obvious mistakes that it makes along the way um, that it, it goes so far out of its way to undercut the stuff that does work uh, with Sarah Jane Smith. And, and there's some stuff with, um, I, I guess there's some stuff with the doctor that works as well. Um, yeah. It, it's just a real bummer. Mm, it is. And I, uh, I've got to be honest with you. I don't have much else to say about the Krillotains or that central plot. Um, I, 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 yeah, everything to do with the Krillotains and the oil, uh, it just feels so overly complicated and unnecessarily high stakes. Um, I mean, that scene where David Tennant's like standing in the computer room and he's like, they're trying to crack the Skasis paradigm. What's the Skasis paradigm? Oh, it literally gives you the power of the universe. Um, it's like, fucking tone it down <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I do know uh, look listeners if it sounds like we're kind of like grasping at straws here to talk about the actual plot of this episode it's because we really are um we have some other stuff that we'd really like to get into that directly relates to school reunion but it is much more like theory heavy and really like character driven um so we're probably going to transition into that pretty pretty fucking quickly um but yeah just as cj said like the the skasis paradigm is I at least applaud it for trying to be thematically relevant to what the episode is doing in terms of presenting Rose and the Doctor and Sarah Jane with a, um, you know, like a, a very obvious um, example to them of, you know, time passing and, and death and loss and the way that things have to move on beyond a certain point that, you know, summer can't last forever, essentially. But what if it could is the Skasis Paradigms, uh, or rather the Krillotanes pitch to the Doctor. You know, they say, hey, if you let us crack this, you could literally prevent your companions from dying. You could resurrect your entire dead race. Um, and so in that sense, I applaud Whithouse for trying to marry those two units i think a lot of the times when i criticize doctor who it comes down to the fact that father's day is a really good example of this if the threat and the sort of thematic emotional through line of the episode aren't uh, unified for me i have a really hard time sort of getting involved in the threat and so here we have an example of something that does technically link the two of them um but because everything either side of those two points is is so shoddily put together and and weirdly stakeless uh it just it ends up falling quite flat and and i'm i'm not mad i'm just disappointed i guess uh yes and i think the key word to what you just said there is like it technically yes the the skasis paradigm technically fits in with the what's happening what this was being told with sarah and rose and the doctor but it that argument that the finch i think his name dr mr finch makes um to to david tennant is it's it feels so flawed considering he's basically saying hey you could go back and you could change all these things but he He's a he's in possession of a time machine, and so he doesn't need the Krillotains or the Skasis paradigm or any of this stuff to to like to do the things that he's talking about. He doesn't need them to go back to help him go back and and change things to make him better. He could do that now, and uh, yes, yeah, so that's why I've always found that that kind of um, just really flawed as a as a. A dramatic moment to build to. It's okay. It's rare that I'm the combative one, especially in Doctor Who particulars. But I would push back on that slightly, just because uh, isn't it like established that he can't specifically interfere with his own timeline? Otherwise, why wouldn't he have gone back and fixed some of these problems? 
Well, it depends on who you're asking, James, really. We, we, we just had this conversation before we started recording. It's like, you almost have to treat Doctor Who as like, uh, as like it's a new show when a new showrunner takes on board because, um, yes, that may have been true, but then Moffat came on board and was like, no, you can do whatever you like. You can, you can travel anywhere and, and mess up your timeline. Um, but I guess to what you're saying, yeah, like um, there is this thing in the RTD era where they whenever whenever he lands in a certain place he he has to uh i think it's called like he says he becomes part of events um and he can't go back on his timeline but if you're talking about like ancient history like he could go back to any old point and and change things he can't change the time laws because that's the and the time war because that's time locked i'm i feel like i'm rambling but i'm actually just recounting plot points from the show (laughs) Um, yeah, but like, I mean, I guess like my point is that like the, the stasis paradigm specifically offers him a chance to fix those things that he can't fix with the TARDIS. I think that's why it's almost successful. Like, I'm not arguing that it is a successful moment. I, I think that, um, Anthony had, who I really just want to keep calling Giles because he plays Giles in Buffy. And as we established last week, I'm now obsessed with Buffy. Um, but I, I, I want it to work. And I think when you want something to work in Doctor Who, that goes a long way to almost making it work for you. And it does give Sarah Jane um, a really nice moment where she gets to make a really nice speech to the Doctor about, you know, everything has its time, everything dies essentially. And and again, see, I'm trying to compliment it, but I'm going to criticise it here again. I feel like that would work if it wasn't for the fact that we just had Rose deliver him that lesson in parting of the ways or if it felt like it was a lesson that the doctor needed to learn um whereas this doctor is specifically based around the concept that yes things die and no sometimes you can't change that and you have to accept it hmm yes and i think here you're butting up against um rtd's original plan for this as the second season of eccleston adventures and not the first season of a new doctor because yes you're absolutely right that callback to parting of the ways would ring far truer were it chris freckleston here still racked with guilt and still um still that uh time war shot man um which we can't which we're just speculating at, i suppose but that yeah i i agree with you there i agree with you there should we talk about the doctor and Rose and, and Sarah and, and the fate of the companions. Oh, I suppose, I suppose we should get into the Rose stuff. Um, uh, uh, okay. See, here's the thing. I don't like that. Um, I'm mad at Russell T Davies for constantly putting me in positions where I feel like I have to sort of come at what they're doing with Rose this season, but it is, it's another episode where, we see a really unfortunate side to her um, and and not in the way that it's like, I think it's a relatable flaw in her character and in everybody's character to have a degree of jealousy. Like, I, I don't think that's necessarily a, a, you know, a quote unquote problematic um, element to introduce into their dynamic for this episode or for any episode moving forward. Um, what I do find to be a problem here and with the Sarah Jane stuff and this, 
really unfortunately applies to both of them is that it, it kind of removes them so far from their own characters that we've been establishing or established in the past. And in the same way that uh, the, um, the Christmas invasion episode did, it just forces them to play a role within a very gendered story. And so because it's two women and a male doctor, of course it becomes like a love triangle story where, oh, they've got to be bitchy with each other. They've got to be catty because women need to fight before they can realize that like, haha, let's just get along now. Um, it's, it's just really not well written. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to argue with what you've just said, but you have reminded me of an interesting uh, kind of counterpoint to what you're saying, which is that um, Sarah Jane Smith, this happened to Sarah Jane Smith in the seventies when she was like the second lead of the show. She started out with John Pertwee as uh, a really fantastic independent uh, women's lib journalist um, kind of character uh, and that was under the Barry Letts and Terence Sticks production team. Then when Tom Baker took over and it was Philip Hinchcliffe, her character over time and not very subtly, I'll add, changed from being a, an investigative journalist to almost like a little girl is the only way I would describe it. It's like she get she just gets aged down, down, down to the point where her, in, her, in her last episode, she's like in kitty overalls and has a teddy bear and she leaves the TARDIS. And I'm not saying any of this to disparage her companion or so her characterization or, um, or Elizabeth Sladen's performance. Um, because actually it's almost like she gets better with time as a, as a companion because she gets Tom Baker and they have the most electric, fantastic chemistry you've ever, ever seen. It's like one in a million chance of chemistry between the two of them. Um, and so it, 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 it doesn't ever feel like it's the wrong choice necessarily, but it, it is a devolution of her character. If you want to look at it objectively, that's just an interest. I mean, that's just an interesting thing to note really in, in relation to this discussion we're having, which is that Sarah Jane comes back and she doesn't feel like the same character. Well, she's also changed as a character in that show itself and not necessarily for the better, but I'm rambling. Um, no, no, no. I like that. That is genuinely interesting information because like I've seen uh, a fair few Sarah Jane classic adventures, but um, not, not all of them, obviously. And when I was watching school reunion for the first time, I paused it and went back to watch her final scene with the doctor because of the whole, like, you know, Oh, you didn't drop me off in Croydon. You dropped me in Aberdeen kind of joke that they have. Um, and you're right. I did think that she looked profoundly young. Um, and as someone who loves like Pyramids of Mars or the Android Invasion or all of these other amazing adventures she has with Tom Baker, in which I remember her looking like a fully grown woman. <laughs> and then to see her last story with Tom Baker, have her sort of like come out and be like, oh, my mommy and daddy are calling me. Um, I just, I don't, <laughs> sorry. Listeners, I apologize. We've been laughing at uh, a very particularly dumb joke today. Um, to see that is is quite unfortunate. And so I, I do take your point in the sense that um, maybe to claim that it's entirely out of character might not be an entirely fair criticism of her. But And this, this dives at another point, uh, another problem that's going on with School Reunion, is that it seems to just completely ignore that she lived an entire adult life 
without the doctor and any sort of like development or changes in her life or anything else that could have happened to stop her from being this kind of like perfectly frozen in time companion to the doctor just didn't happen to her apparently like that there's no husband there's no there's no wife there's no kids uh she still has the same robotic dog even though it's completely broken she still spends her time essentially chasing these stories i I think the implication is that in the hope that she might eventually see him again one day and in a sense i like that they play with the idea that you know she never got closure and so that's why she always felt as if she was going to see him again but at the same time it's another problem this episode has where it kind of can't imagine uh, these two women, Sarah Jane and Rose, as anything other than how they relate to the Doctor. And I think that's a, a problem. I totally agree. Um, I really, yeah, I totally agree, especially in regards to, and that's something I didn't, that's something I didn't think of rewatching this episode only because I had in my back of my head the Sarah Jane adventures where we do get a fleshed out, uh, back, not even necessarily, well, no, yeah, backstory and, uh, a life for Sarah Jane that I didn't think, obviously this episode, yeah, you're right. Presents her as basically having been frozen in time since she left the TARDIS. Um, which is interesting to explore if you're going to explore that, but yeah, it kind of wants to have its cake and eat it too. And say that, you know, she, she has grown up and she's become an adult woman and she's been through all these adventures, but she's also never changed. And she's also still investigating. And she's also carrying K9 around, even though he's broken, which is kind of sad to be honest. Um, yeah, <laughs> not, I'm not saying that to make fun of her. I'm genuinely like, that's a sad, that's sad. Um, and Yes, I have heard this argument that that Sarah, they recast Sarah as this lovelorn, lost companion to mirror Rose. And I think that it's true, but I also don't think it's entirely without merit because, and this is the only way that I rationalise it in my head and I uh, believe that I would also react this way in the same similar sim- situation um which i guess puts me inside the head of the writers uh emotionally um is that if i ha- had a platonic relationship with somebody but it was so Im- far-fetched and so out of the realm of possibility to even discuss with another human being and i was suddenly dropped on earth and had to just go back to life as it was before in my head i i can imagine like romanticizing that time to such a degree that when that person came back to, to into my life, I would not, I would cling to them. And I'm not saying Sarah Jane's clinging to him here, but she, yeah, is definitely Im- imbibing some of the same kind of uh, reactions as Rose is. But fundamentally she also breaks out of that cycle and demands a bit of closure from him, which I like. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, it's difficult because I don't, I don't entirely disagree with that. Um, Alison Shoemaker on the Debating Doctor Who podcast, uh, she put it in a really interesting way, I thought, in that the Doctor and Companion relationship, um, unless they deliberately muddy the waters on this one, is such a unique thing in the sense that it is more powerful than just 
a straight up platonic relationship. It's entirely different from a romantic relationship. It's again, entirely in, uh, different from a parental relationship. It's this own strange thing that exists entirely out of our personal understanding of what it would be like to, to love somebody else that way. Um, and I, I like that. I, I, I do really like that. And I like the concept of romanticizing her memories of her time with the doctor and like we've talked about this before we recorded i think the main issue here though is that there is a difference between romanticizing and romance um and Mm. when they specifically code it using language that is centered around a um a, a romantic connection when it's specifically done to this character as a means of mirroring the current companion who is in a very explicitly romantic sort of entanglement with the doctor um it, it just muddies the waters a little bit too much and any sort of sense of commentary that they were hoping to go for on uh, life after the Doctor in a, in a broader sense has to be sort of completely pulled back down to like laser focus on these Rose and Sarah Jane mirroring compa- uh, comparisons. That it, it just loses its way a little bit because I, I do think that it it changes an old dynamic to, to fit a new one while also underserving that new dynamic by having her play the the jealous current girlfriend um yeah i just find it very frustrating because i I see what you're saying and i think i see the intention that uh russell t davies and uh toby whitehouse were going for here but i think what actually ends up happening in execution um it it just gets too messy yeah you're right and um changing an old yeah you're absolutely right even if this new iteration shows that there was like some lingering romantic inclination on Sarah's part. That's definitively not there in the old series. So yeah, I guess, yeah, having her come back and suddenly expressing this pining would be uh, out of character for sure. And um, mm, Rose, how do we feel about Rose? (laughs) Cause I'm in two minds. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I it, Again, it goes to that whole... I've been trying to think about this a lot more lately and appreciate Rose's faults as um, not like a fault of the writers, but a fault of the character. Um, because I, I do think that... I, I do want my companions to have flaws. I want them to ha- make mistakes and to... Like, you know, Clara is too arrogant. Amy is too sort of like torn about how she's going to be spending her time and ultimately ends up being quite hurtful to the people around her in her reality life. Um, I think Martha is probably just perfect, you know, (laughs) but we'll get to that. Um, But with Rose here, it's, uh, and again, it's the same thing with the Christmas invasion. Like it's not that she is jealous or it's not that she is feeling helpless. It's that that defines her for these episodes. Um, And so she stops being Rose feeling a certain way and just becomes that certain way that they need her to be. I think that's where the major breakdown happens for me. Um, What's your conflict on this? Yeah. um, I think my major conflict is that I can see the two roses emerging. I can see the two roses emerging because we had in, in tooth and claw last week, we had uh, last two weeks, I should say we had a very proactive rose that I was really, really happy to see return. Um, and she's, I think there's elements of that here as well. You know, when she's playing the dinner lady role and she's doing the investigation, she's putting herself in danger because they have to assume that there's an element of danger with whatever's going on at the school. 
and um and even though her reaction in actually one of my favorite scenes when she's confronts the doctor and is says you know am i just the latest in a long line um even though that's born out of a jealousy a very specific gendered jealousy having just seen sarah jane smith um i do really vibe with her taking him to task over this because because i can and i yeah i see what you, also what you're saying because like in the writer's minds and in the audience's mind rose is the first rose is the first companion and the show has to treat her as as that character in a way it has to kind of ignore to continue standing on its own two feet as as valid and worthy television to still be existing uh you know 50 plus years after it was first started it has to treat each companion as its own starting point um and so for rose uh, in that moment to be saying i thought i was special basically i really vibe with i really vibe with um even if i can see underlying all of that like the inherent heterosexual nonsense that we come to abhor from most (laughs) media um yeah so i i i I am genuinely like conflicted about rose in this episode because like i feel like i am rose in so many respects but i also don't like those qualities necessarily in myself or in other people so it's like what do you do Yeah, that's fair. And I don't think the answer is to ignore those qualities. Like, I am glad that they bring them to the forefront in the same way that, like, any time they have a sort of a study of where a companion is falling short, I I think it's really great. Like, I'm I'm always down for that. Um, To your point, I think it'd be interesting, like, what would this have been like if it had been, like, you know, Harry or somebody coming back? Or if it hadn't been a woman come back into that what would they have done then if they couldn't fall back on that kind of like really hetero nonsense tropey stuff um and don't get me wrong i wouldn't trade the sarah jane return for anything in the world but i just wish that if they had like it's okay to to brush up against that because i think that inherently it's not a problem to have rose be all like oh my god who's this woman like that that's fine as a like a one scene or a two scene kind of beat it, it just bothers me that it goes on to sort of define half of her dynamic in this episode with Sarah Jane, because when you do finally move beyond that, you get some incredible character stuff between Rose and Sarah Jane, because there is a, a shared connection there that isn't, you know, the ex and, and the, the new misses. Like that's, that's such a surface level read on what they could be doing with these two. And so I'm glad that they do eventually sort of ditch it. Um, and then you get, you know, amazing scenes where um, the, the quote from the top of our episode, uh, Rose asked Sarah Jane at some point towards the end of the episode, is it worth continuing to travel with him? And Sarah Jane says, yeah, like some things are worth getting your heart broken for. And I don't, in in that moment, I don't read that as a particularly romantic read. I don't think she's saying, you know, the heartbreak is like, you know, the hetero crap heartbreak thing. I think it's just that whole, you're going to go through some pain eventually because it's been laid out for you very clearly across this episode that, you know, you won't be able to stay with him forever because he specifically won't allow you to. But what you're going to be able to do because of that is so worth it. And that, again, goes to like a much wider, amazing point that it's making there that like, 
it is better to have loved and lost, like go and experience these things, go and have those journeys and whatnot. I think that's a really great lesson for Rose to learn. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it does get really muddled with the, the crap that they do here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do, <laughs> mm, that ending with Sarah Jane, I, I'd like to get your read on, like specifically that last scene that she has with the doctor outside of the TARDIS. Uh, yeah. Um, I gotta tell you, I love it. (laughs) I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm really, really, I'm really, really high on what you just said about Rose, uh, and Sarah Jane basically being the only two people who understand each other, um, in the universe, because I, I do, I do love that they are able to get past all of the, the crap and get to that point of, of identification with each other because it's, it's so rare. It's actually so rare on Dr. Who to see two women connecting, uh, in this era of the show, which is something, which is, uh, except for Rose and her mum, basically. Um, so yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, that last scene is maybe one of my favorite, favorite written scenes ever. I, yeah, my read on it is that it's great. And I, but I have a, a much bigger read about the doctor and Rose and Sarah, if I can go into it, or do you want to talk about the ending? Uh, no, I, I think we can shift into like full blown theory territory uh, pretty, pretty soon here. Uh, I, I guess I just bring up that last scene because, um, and this will probably dovetail into maybe what you want to talk about because after you get that really great exchange with, between her and Rose, um, which also includes another one of my favorite lines and uh, Elizabeth Sladen's delivery of this is just, it knocks me out cold every time when she's leaving the TARDIS for the last time, she sort of says her last goodbyes to Rose. I think she says to her, like, you know, um, find me one day if you need to like that very explicit uh, implication between the two of them that like, Hey, someday you're going to feel the same way I felt when I got left and I will be here for you when that happens. Like that, like you said, having two women connect and yes, like it is still over a man. And so like, it's not entirely perfect in the way that it goes about it. Um, But a shared experience like that, I think is a really a, a good place to leave their dynamic on given how much the episode sort of doesn't, do that um and then her last scene with the doctor i i find uh particularly uncomfortable i suppose just because of the implications of the language that's being used and you know oh i never even asked you know is there a like a, a mr smith or children or anything and she's like oh you know there was this one man i traveled with him for a bit but he was a hard act to follow and I'm like, but, but I don't know. He was like an old man. You were a child. I, I just, I don't vibe with this whole, like, again, <laughs> that, that recreating them as a, as a romantic duo. Um, but you do get a, a really good moment where Sarah Jane asserts herself and says, cause he doesn't want to say goodbye because he's bad at goodbyes. Um, and she asserts herself and says, no, like you will say goodbye to me here because if his, if it might be the last time I ever see you, which it likely is for her, even though, you know, we know it's not, um, it's good that she gets that final bit of closure. And my last point on this, because I don't want to belabor it too much, but uh, again, that that's coming at such a late point in her life is the part that I find. So like, mm, you know, it's just unfortunate that like a, a fully grown woman needed that after, you know, 30 odd years or whatever it is. It just, again, it feels like a particularly gendered take on, on what they could have done with her to bring her back. Um, but then he leaves her with 
a new canine. Um, and I put this in our show notes and then you ended up writing like an essay underneath it. Um, to me, it just smacks of when he leaves Rose with the clone version of himself uh, in the alternate universe when they eventually have to part ways for the last time again. And I'm like, is this just a thing that you do? Do you just leave these women with like tokens been like, hey, look, you can't have me or my amazing adventure box anymore, but here's a toy. Uh, look, um, the the canine coming back, I, I, look, I'm just going to say it's great because... Um, I think trying to equate this moment with the clone doctor moment, um, which we will get to, um, is just, I don't want, I don't even want them to touch. I don't want them anywhere near each other. Um, cause I love this scene. I love it so much. It's so sweet. Sarah just like going canine and, and canine trundles over and he's like, master rebuilt me. And she's like, Oh, he replaced you with a brand new model. We've got work to do. I, ah. Uh, I love it. And I think that should also reveal to you all that I love canine unreservedly. I feel like you can have your, like you can have your like quibbles about humans, but like dogs and robot dogs are just God's gift to us all. And (laughs) uh, I will, I will take that gift up with open arms, please. There's yeah. I, I I really, really, really vibe with what you're saying um, about that ending and the way that Elizabeth Sladen like says, Oh, just say it, please. Just say it. It's like, like, oh, there's just so much unsaid there that I, ugh, I just, I really like, I really like that she gets that moment of of saying goodbye. And also, what you've just said puts me in mind of um, all the other companion exits where either they left because they were traumatized or they were fell in love or something, um, and they were pushed out of the TARDIS. Um, and the kind of closure that they didn't get is so yes, it comes late in Sarah's life, but it came. And I guess we have to take that as a, as a positive in some respects. Shall I launch into my theory? Uh, I guess you should. I, but look, if we're, if we're going to leave the episode completely behind here and just, you know, sort of use it as a launching pad for some bigger stuff here, I think we should probably just quickly touch on some other stuff that was actually in the episode. Like you, like your point, we haven't talked about K-9. K-9 is wonderful. Um, it was really lovely to see him back. He gets a great moment with Mickey where him and Mickey are sitting in the car outside the school and they learn that it's been locked down. And uh, Mickey's like, oh, I, I just don't know how to get into the school. And K-9's just like, we are in a car. We are in a car. And, you know, it's a silly joke, but it does work because, like, um, Mickey is is such a charming uh, performer in this episode like he's such a lovely character um and seeing him paired up with someone who actually gives him something to do it's just really nice you know um is there anything else with <laughs> mickey that you want to particularly touch on with mickey the only thing i really want to comment on is that he gets a little a little moment of clarity here when he kind of realizes of like how extraneous he is to the doctor and rose's life and he he chooses instead of like in past episodes where he's like gotten grumpy about that and you know gone oh it's all your fault and and stepped away this time he's like actually i'm gonna take my life into my hands and and see what's out there and i'm gonna travel if you'll have me doctor and i really like i didn't realize how much i really like it when he comes on board but i really like it i really like it even the way he asks like it um in that last scene it's great and uh canine um, my favorite moment of K9 is when he's like 
uh, shooting at the Krillitanes. And John Leeson, who he does the voice of K9, says it's like my it's like my favorite line of this whole episode. That's a lie, but um, my favorite K9 at least is when he says maximum defense mode because it's so sweet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is sweet. It's good. And also watching Anthony Head play off of a robotic dog is something I didn't know I needed in my life. Um, but I'm very glad that School Reunion gave me that. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's a good, it's a good moment. Uh, I, oh, I okay. I've got a good thing and a bad thing about Mickey. And so we're going to, we're going to do both. And that way I kind of cancel myself out with my tone here. Um, I don't like that there is a scene where Rose is eating some chips and complaining about <laughs> Sarah Jane coming back into the doctor's life. And Mickey is like watching them interact and he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm getting some serious vibes from them. I don't know about you, but I'd go easy on the chips. And Rose like just pauses with a chip halfway in her mouth. And it's just the most like negging stupid fucking like little, Oh, boys are boys and girls are girls. And you know, girls can't be fat because then boys won't like them. It, I, it, Oh, I cannot put into words how much I hate it. Um, it's so 2006. I just, oh, oh, no, thank you. On the flip side, though, uh, to your point about the way that he asks if he can travel on board the TARDIS at the very end, he's just so assertive about it. He just says, can I come too? It's so earnest. Um, and, and I think mm. having that very human moment for Mickey really does matter because of where Mickey is going um, very soon in this season. Um and that was really good. It did give Rose another strange moment where she, like, she says, hey, let's bring Sarah Jane on board. Mm-hmm. Sarah Jane says no. And then Mickey says, can I come on board? And Rose is immediately, like, pouting and like, oh, yeah, sure, fucking great. I love Mickey. And it's like, what, what is going on with you, Rose? Like, do you, do you want him all to yourself or do you not? Like, do you like Mickey or do you not? Uh, it's that Rose consistently consistency problem that, that we keep sort of uh, butting up against. Um, I'm going to lay this down and you, you, you choose to take it up or you don't. It's up to you, dear listener. My theory is the doctor does not love Rose. I know it's big. I know this whole episode, this whole season is structured around the Doctor love and Rose being a love story. But I watched this season. I know we're only about three episodes in, but I watched this season and I can't help but feel like that is just fundamentally untrue. Um, and this is a, this, this episode is a key point of this whole, of this whole theory um, because of the, because of Mickey uh, and because of Sarah Jane as well. This is an episode which is about like companions and it's about, um, your your life is being second fiddle to this alien, basically, um, and there is something there's something that's been uh, like bubbling under the surface here, which is like ever since the Doctor changed, Rose has like become a different character. We've noted we've noted this, and in her very first episode with David Tennant, she's like, "He's left me, he mum. He's left me. He's left me," which made me think, like, hmm, what what is Rose's experience of what a companion is being like? And then I was like, well, hang on. The only the only companions that she's known in the Doctor's life have been Adam, who he forced out, and Captain Jack, who he left behind on uh, Satellite 5. And now Sarah Jane's popped up, and she was also unceremo- unceremoniously dumped on Earth. And so my idea in my head is like that Rose 
has internalized this idea that you will one day suddenly be walking. You'll be one day you'll be in the TARDIS and the doctor will say, that's it. You're done. And push her out. I'm, I'm trying to speed through this so we can get to some um, discussion, but like um, my, my, like when I was thinking about like Ro- what Rose has seen so far of what being a companion is like, I was like, Oh, that totally tracks with like how, clingy is such a gendered word I feel but like how clingy she has become as a as a character uh to the doctor and I was like well it totally makes sense because like she thinks he's gonna dump her she thinks he's gonna throw her out um and it really does track I think with David Tennant's performance which is of somebody who has suddenly gotten a young hot face and body and is like I'm gonna work I'm gonna take this out on the road I'm gonna like meet people and kiss people and do all kinds of shit. And I feel like Rose suddenly is like feeling um, like she is second best to this man. Now, granted that's not substantiated by the show, um, but Rose's, Rose's uh, reaction to Mickey coming on board and also the doctor's like immediate, like, yeah, come on board reaction makes me think that he, is in some way driving a wedge unintentionally between them because he has said in this episode, like you won't, you won't live the rest of your life with me. And one day it will come to an end. And in some ways I feel like he is like subconsciously trying to put that wedge between them because he knows that Rose is like falling in love with him. And he knows that it's not like entirely like healthy. And he's trying without saying so to put that wedge between them. Uh, that's my Cliff Notes version of it. I felt like I just said a million words in like two seconds. Um, but that's what I'm laying down. What do you think, James? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Am I completely off my rocker? I think that that is one of my favorite, like between, between the lines kind of reading of what's going on in season two. Uh, I, I think it's exceptionally generous to season two. I'll, I'll say that much. Uh, because, I think that it is, if it is there, and I do think there is evidence, especially in some later episodes as well, where like it is there that he doesn't love her in the same way that she loves him. Um, I I think it's kind of underdone by sort of the overriding impression and tone that everybody comes away from season two with, uh, which is that, you know, these two are falling in love together. Um, and so... Again, it's that whole, it's like the Harriet Jones thing, or it's like what they do with Rose in this episode with the way that she reacts to Sarah Jane, the way Sarah Jane reacts to her and the left behind and all that sort of stuff. Like, it's interesting to potentially read into accidental commentary with what they're doing with some of these choices. Um, But I don't think the show itself is necessarily remotely on that level at this point in in its run. Um, I, I think it knows what it wants to do and what it wants to do is tell a very safe hetero nonsense story. Um, and look, that's fine. Do we go to do, I, I get it, it's 2006, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I really love this, this whole concept. Um, there's a scene in uh, the impossible planet where, which is coming up in, later in this season for those who don't know, uh, where the two of them get stranded on 
the impossible planet. Um, and there's a moment where there's, they're just sitting down having like a really casual conversation and they're talking about like getting mortgages and getting houses. And then Rose is like, Oh, maybe we could have um, the same house. And the doctor just looks at her like, why the fuck would you say that? <laughs> um, and it's, it's such a clear indication that like, sometimes they are on completely different wavelengths. And given that it is there in David Tent's performance, um, and it's there in the script sometimes. I wish that they had specifically run with that as a concept of like, she falls in love with him, but it's unrequited love. And how does that sort of impact their story moving forward? How does that impact the choices that she makes as a companion? How does it impact how he treats her as a companion? But it never does. Like when push comes to shove and the episode actually has to do something, uh, any of the episodes that is, they still act like they're very much in a mutually in love kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I guess that's a long winded way of saying like super interesting, not sure it's entirely, uh, I'm not sure there's enough meat in this stew to, to really chew on. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, no, there isn't, um, a lot, but I do, I do want to just like, I, I, I don't want to talk about it too much because like, it's not really the focus of this episode, but I do just want to like put it out there as something we can like look at in the episodes to come, because I, 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 I do think that um, there's, there's got to, I, and maybe it's this desire in me to like think that there's more happening in the season than what actually is there. Um, I don't want to go away from this thinking it was a bad season overall. And I feel like that's been our impl- the implication of where we're going with this season so far. Um, yeah. And it also, I think it's just an interesting theory in terms of just like, in terms of just like engaging with the discourse and just engaging with like what's what's there. Um, I have others if you want to listen to them too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't doubt that you do. And look, I've read our show notes, so I obviously I, I've got some spoilers on this one. Um, I what I would like to pull on is is a thread that you've kind of introduced here with the abandonment issues and sort of blow that out in a wider sense. And I feel like school reunion is the time to talk about this. Um, why is it that new who can't envision a companion ending that isn't inherently tragic in some way with one exception because look clara's look we're not going to get into this it's a whole thing that we'll probably do a clara special at some point so i can get all of this off my chest finally uh clara's ending is is tragic there is there is inherent tragedy to the fact that those two loved each other as much as they did and one of them had to forget the other to make everything right in in the galaxy basically that's inherently tragic uh bill's ending is such a strange one because it is so horrific um for Mm -hmm. those who don't know uh bill was the companion after clara she gets turned into a cyberman in a very particular body horror episode it's a it's a profoundly uncomfortable finale she is essentially uh rescued by her um lesbian lover who is also now a space cloud and look that's the most moffity thing i've ever said in my life i think and it might be the most moffity thing he's ever written um but they're like with both Clara and uh, Bill, there is a element of beauty and freedom given to them in conjunction with the tragedy that they have to experience to get there, though. Um, Amy ends up uh, being forcibly separated from the Doctor for the rest of her life so that she can be with Rory, uh, which is, again, inherently tragic because it shouldn't have to be that kind of a choice. Um, Donna, 
Oh, poor Donna. Oh boy. We, we are going to, yeah, we're going to have some words about what happens to Donna. Um, I, I don't want to get into it at all here because it is such a huge fucking topic, but basically Donna's is the most tragic. Um, Martha gets to have this amazingly independent ending where she says, I don't want this life and walks away from him, which is amazing. And then Rose, as we're going to see at the end of the series, gets sucked into a wall. And so (laughs) it's just, (laughs) it's such a strange uh, part of the makeup of, of new who that Mm. for some reason, when a companion leaves the TARDIS, it has to be because they are ripped away from the TARDIS. And that has so many implications for what life is like back on earth outside of the TARDIS, how little what them wanting to return to that is ever a part of the, the thinking process. Yeah. What that says about what the show thinks about a normal life. It, it has so many layers to it and having Sarah Jane come back in such a way that it redefines her leaving as this now, well, you know, you kind of emotionally stunted me for 30 years. It's like, well, what is going on with this, this dynamic here? Totally. Um, and I, I think I, I don't know if I said this in the past, but like, yeah, I've always found the idea, like the idea that like modern who is so obsessed with tragedy, um, to complete a companion's arc is is a real a real flawed one and a real indulgence that I don't uh, truck with, to be honest. Um, and I also like have thought in the past that the idea that life on Earth is so dramatically shit that someone needs to like um, escape it in the TARDIS. I think it's like a really uh, bad message to a lot of kids who are watching who who live like. Who, li- who aren't going to escape. I don't know. This is like the social justice part of like the side of my brain. That's like, we should be championing earth as a place to live and not like putting out the message that you need to escape life on earth. Um, because we should be looking at our planet more and we should be like preserving things here and like looking more inward and stop thinking. So like largely this is, this is, a, a, I'm, I'm in danger of going way too big than I mean to. Um, but when I started to think about that more as a like a concept, um, I I did just want to like curb that a little bit because I am also aware uh, and don't want to forget that escape is sometimes a necessary um, thing for a lot of people's domestic situation, and they uh, if they're queer, if they're in an abusive relationship or anything such as that, like the message of Doctor Who that you can you can leave that. You can leave a, a, an abusive or wrong situation is not the wrong message. So I would, I, yeah, like yeah, I'm in two minds about that whole thing. Your point about like modern who um, having tragic companion exits is entirely valid. And when we come to Donna, uh, I think we're both, we could almost dedicate an episode just to that ending the donna thing plays with so many different problems the the primarily one being consent um which oh, there's implications there and everything it, it's a whole thing that we that, I, that we cannot get into tonight that I, it's but it's a gravity well because it's the perfect representation of this issue um and to your point about like yes escapism is good and i don't need my entertainment to necessarily um uh, represent my uh 
my particular feelings on, you know, oh, we should be championing the lifestyle of Earth and all that sort of stuff. Like, I, I don't need that from from escapism media. Um, but I do think it's interesting talking about these concepts in 2020 in such a time when, like, not to get too deep with this, but, like, real-life earth like our our day-to-day lives like you know like the the jobs that that we take or like the relationships that we have or the systems that we exist within like they aren't inherently all that fantastic at the moment like things things are a little bit not ideal and so then to see a show which is ostensibly about the best of humanity very clearly take a stance every time it gets the chance to again with the Martha being exception uh where it says you know, the only way that a companion would ever possibly want to return to the life that we, the audience, have to live is through tragedy. Um, it's it's just such a strange choice. Um, and I, I hope this hasn't gotten away from us too much because it, it is quite a large issue and it does deserve its own episode. Um, but it is something that we both noted when we were thinking about School Reunion. And um, yeah, it, it just... It's a strange one. Like, mm. to quote Cordelia from Buffy, because that's something I can do now, um, <laughs> I'm going to be thinking serious thoughts all day now. <laughs> like, it it just wormed its way into our head, and it, it's something that, yeah, we, we'd like to talk about. Absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I, don't, I can't speak for you, but I have definitely been, um, definitely been thinking about this for, su- for such a long time uh, as well, because, uh, I think because Martha's, uh, exit stands out as such a, as such an outlier, which I never anticipated, but like, yeah, in terms of modern who it is far more common for a companion to exit by, by means extraneous to themselves. And I find that a really odd choice. Um, and I also hate that like Martha gets vilified for that in a lot of ways. Um, and that's a, again another discussion for another time. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's so much to talk about here, um, and I feel like yes, let's let let we should be circling back to school reunion now and to Sarah Jane Smith um, and to to this episode that we've been watching. Should we should is, should we grading it? Yeah, it's weird coming back to it now because, like, for a moment there, I felt quite untethered from the episode structure that we've chosen and, like, we could just have, like, a proper in-depth conversation about the ideology of Doctor Who. Um, And so I'm I'm very keen to do that at some point. Uh, But, yeah, look, Score Reunion obviously gave us a lot to think about. Um, It does some things really really well uh like you know with with elizabeth Slade's performance uh is is fantastic um we haven't really talked about the doctor in this episode and i feel like maybe if we're if we're gonna go back to the episode itself and we're gonna round this out with with some actual talk about school reunion let's talk about david tennant's doctor what do you want to say (laughs) um Look, you, you got your chance to float your theory. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to float mine. And this is something that's been brewing in the back of my brain for a little while now. Um, I don't know that David Tennant is all that good in the role. I think, I think, I think I agree. I agree with you in a lot of ways. Um, and this was something that we were spitballing with each other uh, a few days ago where I was like, there's something about David Tennant's, David Tennant, as a human being that I find like makes him 
unsuitable to play the doctor and in a lot of ways he he does imbibe that role quite well he's like shy and um, retiring but also like quite manic behind the scenes and like that that's an obvious doctor trait that you could like but there he 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 just i don't know if it's his choices or if it's the way the character's written during this time but um he's never really felt to me like he's never really felt to me like Doctor Who. He's always felt to me like Doctor Who as played by David Tennant. And maybe that's just because he has become this, his iteration of the character has become this larger than life, like celebrity in his own rights, which I don't feel like Tom Baker ever was, but only because I didn't live through that era. But like, I always felt like Tom Baker was like so closely synonymous with the doctor because Tom Baker lived like the doctor outside of life that, um, that was never really an issue. Whereas with David Tennant, it was like, became like a, a, a movie star, like a superstar because of this role. And that's such an outlier kind of, uh, happenstance. I've rambled. What do you, what do you want to, what do you have to say? <laughs> oh, ra- rambling's fine. It's, 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 it's seven thirty on a Tuesday night. I think rambling is the only appropriate response to a Dr. Who podcast at this hour. Um, Look, no, I. It's just something about his performance that's holding me at arm's length at this point. And like, I, I I'm well aware that uh, to you, listeners, we're only talking about his fourth episode as the Doctor. Um, but you know, behind the scenes, I've watched up to partway through season three now, um, and so I really wanted to get a full sense of season two. And I'm glad that I did because it has helped me kind of solidify and see some of what they're doing with Rose and the Doctor here. Um, But David Tennant specifically in the role is just, uh, I I don't know what it is because he's a really good actor. Um, I I quite enjoyed him in in Broadchurch. He was amazing in Jessica Jones when he was playing that villain. I, I thought that he clearly has it in him to deliver a good performance. And I think he does occasionally bring um, a lot of charm to the role of the Doctor. In a sense, it kind of reminds me of the Jodie Whittaker problem in that um, you've got an actor who is like really charming and and clearly decent at their job, but there's just a slight disconnect in how they're playing this character because it feels like they're playing it always for the back of the room, even in situations where they should you really be just be talking to the front row. I, I'm not sure if I use that metaphor correctly. I'm not a theater gay, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's just an issue that I'm, I'm having with uh, this season is that I, I find him just not all that compelling or, or interesting to watch in the role. And I think because of that, the character of the doctor has become a little less exciting to me. And when I see scenes like the one that he shares with Anthony Head in the uh, when they're standing on either side of the pool and they're talking about, you know, oh, I'm a new kind of time lord and I don't give second chances and I'll happily go to war. And it's like, I should love all of this dialogue. Um, but I, I just I just end up feeling nothing for it. And that's, you know, clearly where we've landed on School Reunion, I think, as, as a whole, if we want to start wrapping this up, is that it feels like all the ingredients are here, but then when you actually sit down to watch it, it just, yeah, it's like trying to hold smoke in your hands. There's just not, there's just not much to it outside of the Sarah Jane Smith stuff. Uh, Yeah, I do agree. And um, if we want to talk about David Tennant specifically and his performance as the doctor, um, I've, I've in the course of doing this podcast, um, I have read a lot of 
a lot of reviews of upcoming episodes and of David Tennant in particular. And the one thing that I find is cropping up a lot is um, he doesn't really snap into focus as a doctor until uh, the human nature of family of blood two-parter, um, which is a brilliant, maybe one of the best episode modern who has ever put out, um, which is up for debate, obviously, but that's like a season away. That's not now. And I do think, I really do think that David Tennant gets better as time goes on and he kind of gets unencumbered. Like he, when, when Rose leaves, I think he really steps into the limelight in a, in a big way and just, it becomes his show and the tone shifts around him. And so even if I don't necessarily vibe with it, I do get it from that point on. But this first season, it's very awkward. It's, I feel like it's a very awkward transition series and it shows. Um, and I do think a lot of that has to do with it still with this, a lot of these episodes being done with um, Chris Reckleson in mind. A, a, a part, large part of it is also that it's still for a lot of people, it's still the Rose Tyler show and the doctor who doctor is uh, only a secondary character yeah that's actually not a bad point because i will say what i've seen so far of season three he does definitely improve um like i still don't entirely love him yet um but i'm starting to see more of the doctor that i remembered loving because i think you know unless you've specifically really revisited the show i think a lot of people hold david Tennant up as like he's he was the best one he was the doctor um and so to come back to it and to be just completely thrown off of that horse is is a really strange experience and what i've seen in season three so far definitely at least uh alludes more to to that doctor i also want to just clarify i said the jodie whittaker problem as (laughs) if like she's entirely a problem in the role and i definitely don't feel that way like the jodie whittaker discourse is such a, a just a disappointing thing um that we are definitely going to get into very soon um but i do think like david Tennant, she has really amazing moments in the role when she's given a script that is sort of much more tailored to to her and when like like with david Tennant being unencumbered uh once rose is sort of gone i think that jodie whittaker was much more successful in season 11 actually which was her first season because she didn't have as much like overriding sort of doctor who stuff to to sort of drag down what was going on with the uh, the character in that season but that is we are so rambly tonight uh we, we are so <laughs> all over the place there's so many different directions that we want to run in at the moment because school reunion is for all of its faults a fantastic launching pad for conversations about doctor who um but we probably should start wrapping this up no, you're absolutely right, and I also well, I, I also want to um uh, just for my own uh, for my own um, reputation, I also want to say that I adore um, Jodie Whittaker as uh, as an actor, um, and I like her in the role a lot. Um, I do think that the problems inherent with that iteration of the show can be laid at another person's door, but we won't get into that now. I don't think. Um, shall I? give my school reunion critique. Yeah. I I say go for it. Unless there's anything else that you want to bring up. Not really. I'm done. (laughs) No, I'm not. Um, uh, (laughs) um, I think this episode, if I had to like sum it up in a couple of sentences, it would be um, too much too soon. 
Um, in fact, if I had to, if I had to sum it up, it would be in a song. It would be in the song Too Much by Carly Rae Jepsen, because this episode is too much. Um, anyway, I'm definitely on a, some other planet tonight. Um, I think it's like a B minus, right? Like it's, it's got Sarah Jane. I could not put it into a, the C belt with this. I couldn't put a Sarah episode into the C belt, but it's definitely not anywhere higher than a B minus. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I I was leaning towards a C plus, but I just I can't do that to Elizabeth Sladen's performance here. It is too good. If you can, just watch like a, a compilation of Sarah Jane's scenes in School Reunion because they are easily the best part of, of what's been going on here. Um, and yeah, so a B minus is is definitely where I'm landing on this one too. Um that is going to do it for us this week. Uh, I guess thank you for sticking with us through that just wild ride of, of concepts that we threw at you at a million miles an hour. Um, all of which will, will get their own time to, to shine. Don't worry about that. Next week, or rather in two weeks' time, we are going to be looking at another Moffat episode, which I'm very excited about. Me too. The the girl in the fireplace, often said to be the worst of Moffat's uh, RTD episodes, which is to say, better than the episodes around it. Um, oh, can I say that? That was spicy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm looking forward to it next week. Um, it's going to be great. Yes, yes, we are still in this week. So to bring us home, uh, as always, drop us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, because those really help us grow and they do actually make us feel pretty good because validation is in short supply these days, kids. Um, you can reach out to us on twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's two, the word two. If you want to get your thoughts or questions read on the show, uh, we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at twoheartspod, the number two. You want to reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at CJ McLean underscore. And I am at at OMG more James. Uh, thank you for joining us as always. We hope that you're all well, safe, living your truth, being happy, all that, you know, positivity stuff. Um, and yeah, we will see you folks in two weeks time for the girl in the fireplace. Bye. School's out.